all of us, we are so prone to forget all that he's accomplished for us on the cross. So let's begin our time together as we read God's word. I'll start us out. Psalm 66 says, shout for joy to God, all the earth. We will sing the glory of God's name and make his praise glorious. We will remember and proclaim what God has done for us. He has heard our prayers and kept us in his steadfast love. Amen. In light of that, let's celebrate our faith as we continue to sing. and Let's celebrate what he has done for us. his face
It pierces the night It cuts through the shadow With redemption's light The fallen will rise The weak will be strong And death turns to life In our Savior's arms His death is defeated And Jesus reigns Until the world there is hope In His name He pushed back the light of what we just sang, let's confess together the truth that we are sinners, saved only by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Please read the underlined portions with me. I'll start us out. Lord, Satan stands ready daily to accuse us and to call us to pay for our guilt. We rejoice that when condemnation comes, we can look up and see Jesus who made an end of all our sins. Apart from Christ, we die, but in Christ, we live. It is in Christ alone that we place our hope. He is our rock and our salvation. Amen. His work is a finished work, and his kingdom is everlasting to everlasting. Let's continue to sing of our great God. and for all, once and for all, you offered up your life, for one and all, for one and all, the perfect sacrifice, atoning blood was shed, love conquered when you said, it is Who is this king? Who 
sun out its head The veil of the temple was open for men As Jesus went down in the cold of the grave Defeated the darkness when he
Not a fitness fondly dream. Well, all the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and It's a great reminder this morning that when God's people come together on Sunday morning to worship him, this is not about putting on our Sunday best to impress God. This is not about sort of rearranging the furniture of our hearts and lives so that somehow what we do might be acceptable and pleasing to him. This is a reminder we're not reaching up to God this morning doing something, giving enough money, listening well enough, being obedient enough to earn his favor. No, we're reminded this morning that we come to God with nothing. We're a broken people. We're a needy people. And all that's required for us this morning is to know that. To know that apart from the grace of Jesus Christ, we are nothing. Apart from him, we are nothing. We offer nothing to him. Before Oaks, he offers us himself through his son, Jesus Christ, who laid his life down for us so that we could come together to worship him and to know him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what a great reminder. What, um, we need this. This is not about us coming this morning paying penance for everything that we've done wrong this week, for, for, for figuring out the forms of worship and the way that we need to do things that will make you somehow, some way, accept us. No, Lord, it's, it's, it's in fact the exact opposite. You gave it all. You laid your life down. While we were sinners, you died for us. And because of that, Lord, we come to you with an open posture and open hand that says, Jesus, we need you. Jesus, we're, we're a messed up, broken people. So we ask for your mercy and grace through your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, we have sinned. Jesus, we have fallen short. We've messed up our lives. But, Lord, you've done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. You've paid the penalty. You've made us right. You've restored us because of Jesus. And, Lord, it's in his matchless name, Jesus Christ, that we're here this morning. It's in his name that we pray these things. In his name, amen. Before you take a seat, why don't you look around, see if you can find somebody you don't know this morning and say hey.
as you find your seats, let me once again welcome you to Four Oaks Community Church. If we don't know each other, I'm Paul Gilbert. I'm the lead pastor. We're so glad that, that you were here. If you're a guest, first time, second time, or maybe you've just been here a long time but never connected, love to, to get some information into your hands about what God is doing here at Four Oaks Church. Stop by the guest area on the way out. If you're a first-timer, we'd love to give you a gift, love to give you some materials, and and mainly just connect face-to-face, relationship-to-relationship, and say, hey, thanks for being here. How can we serve you? How can we help you um, find the church home that God might be calling you you to find? So anyway, we're so glad that you're here. I say this every year about this time, kids, kindergarten and above, can you hear it? Can you hear it, Piper boys, right? It's the sound of inevitability. It's coming down the tracks. It's quickly approaching two weeks away. Um, school starts, and, and folks, we all know this. It feels like we're, we're gearing up for the, for the Daytona 500. Our, the engines are revving. We're at the starting line. We take off. It seems like we're consumed with busyness for the next six months until, until Christmas break. But we're asking this season, is this the way it's supposed to be? Is this the way God designed us to, to roll, to operate, to function? And so we're kicking off our fall season here on Wednesday night by doing three Wednesday nights in a row that we're calling Reboot 2.0. You'll recall last year it was Re- Reboot 1.0. We talked about the role of technology in our lives. And, and this year we're, 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 con- we're considering a similar sort of theme. We're, we're saying, how do we find spiritual renewal in the midst of our daily grind? How do we be spiritual beings? How do we walk aware of who God is and the rhythms he's called us to, to stay connected to him and to, and to one another? And so for three Wednesday nights, beginning on August 15th, we have free dinner, free child care, children's and student ministry programming. And then we, then we come right in here and we, we dive into this topic together. And, and this year we're going to be um, using Mike Cosper's book, Recapturing the Wonder, Transcendent Faith in a Disenchanted World. You can go ahead and, and go onto Amazon, find one for yourself, order it. We're going to have some available next week to sell. They're either in bulk. They're about $10 a piece. And so you can go ahead and jump on board, start reading that, um, get up to speed. Um, even if you don't, we'd love to have you. Um, plenty of chances to jump on and learn. But we're excited to be, to be going through um, this material together. So mark your calendars. Two weeks from this Wednesday, August 15th, Reboot 2.0 starts at 534 dinner. Um, second thing to put on your, on your radars, on your calendar, we have coming up August 12th. That's right, the, the Sunday night before school starts, an evening in India. And the Paul Rajas have been our gospel partners, missionaries from India for a long, long time. They've been here stateside uh, going through some schooling, education, and they're getting ready to head back over to India in ministry of, of, of orphans, children in need. Um, there's just, as you know, just not just physical need, but huge spiritual need in India. And so we get to celebrate with them, hear what God is doing, hear what they're trusting God to do. That's August, well, 5 30 here um, at Four Oaks Church. would love to have you as a part of that. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward to take our offering today. And as we do so, let me just highlight something that God has been doing um, over the last 10, longer than this, but we have felt it these last two weeks as there have been 34 Chinese students in our midst. They have been participating in a cultural and language enrichment program that's not explicitly Christian, But by God's grace, we were able to partner with FSU in that program where many of you, many families, 18, 19 at Four Oaks, have hosted Chinese students. And this is, I mean, 
some of our kids have been, have been involved with this. They've been running around all over North Florida, South Georgia, going to gosh forsaken places like Wild Adventures and all, all sorts of things. And first time for many of these kids on roller coasters. But it, it's, it's really all about exposing them to the gospel. In fact, this morning, many of our families have taken those Chinese students, some who know very little English, to the Chinese church here in town. And we want to, we want to be praying for them. So thank you if you hosted Thank you if you were a part of this, you volunteered, you served. Thank you particularly to Angie Harris who organized this. It was um, part of her initiative and leadership and effort, and we just really think God, God used this in, in an amazing way. And it reminds us when we come to God and give this morning, we are giving as a spiritual act of worship. This is much more than coins in a plate or a debit on a, on a text or online giving. It's It's... Those are just means to connect us with the reality that God is working, God is on the move, that God is, is building his kingdom. And the way he's chosen to do that, amazingly enough, is through people, through the resources that, that you give. And so we're given this morning as our spiritual act of worship so that more people can know Jesus Christ. So let's bow our heads, commit these gifts to the Lord, and jump into the word. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you did this week, these past 10 days, in bringing these 34 students, none who know you, many who've never even heard of you, and they've been given front row seats, living in homes, coming to church, or being ministered to. We pray for them this morning as as many of them go off to the Chinese church here in town. We pray that you would open eyes and ears and hearts. Lord, you brought the nations to us. We're so thankful for that. And Lord, now we pray that you would continue to work as they return home. Lord, you're a good God, a gracious God, a big God. Thank you for your work of grace. And now bless us as we open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, amen. Good morning to you. Great to be here this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Rob Pfeiffer. I serve on the pastoral team here at Forest Killarn. My primary role is I oversee our student ministries, and um, my primary teaching role involves our, our Wednesday night gatherings we have throughout the fall and spring, and uh, here I am on a Sunday, right? This is great. I'm excited about it. I'm not wearing my usual attire, which is shorts, t-shirt, and chacos. Okay, that's been my summer attire this whole up until now, all right? I decided not to wear them up on the stage today, which is good, but right after second service, putting them back on. And heading out to camp again. It's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to this week coming up. We have our salt and light camp coming up with our fifth and sixth grade students and ending the summer, I think, on a really good and positive note with our students. But I just want to say I am just grateful to be here this morning with you, the church family, being able to open God's word, learn from God's word. And, and my desire this morning is that God is glorified, but that we draw closer to him this morning, understanding our need for Christ, understanding our daily need for God in our lives. And I just pray that you are blessed in that this morning. We are finishing up our Proverbs series today. We've been in the Proverbs uh, for the month of July, and and today is going to end that series. Next week we will be in our series of John that we've been going through. Pastor Paul will be back on the mic. Looking forward to that. But today we're ending in Proverbs. In today's passage, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. And I'd like to invite you to stand as we read God's word, if you are willing and able. 
Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. The word of the Lord says this. It says, Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Let's pray. Lord, this morning as we open your word to us, we know that it is living, it is breathing, it is active, and that it will reach the depths of our soul. And so, God, by faith, we come to you in that truth. I ask for your mercy this morning upon us that you allow the Holy Spirit to illuminate this morning the truth that we find in these words this morning. May our hearts be drawn closer to you. May our hearts be awakened to truth that we are not living in. Let our hearts repent. Let us draw closer to you in Christ, and may your name be glorified. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Just this past uh, summer, actually in June, I, I celebrated a birthday it's almost a milestone. I'm only 47, but the 50 is on the horizon, and it is pretty, pretty big in the horizon, right? And as I, as I reflected upon the birthday, I got a really cool gift. It was a gift that was a DNA test to, to see your ancestry, to test where do your ancestors come from. Pretty cool. Seen a lot of this lately. And one of the things that was interesting about the test is that as I registered the test and as I went online and did the things, there was also another option that allowed me to pay a little bit more money but go through an option to actually have some DNA testing that would involve my health. What type of diseases or sicknesses based on my DNA would I be prone to later in life or even now? kind of perked my curiosity in that and tempted to do it, but I decided not to. But what I did do is I went online and I kind of looked more into this to see where the technology is and, and just really what's going on in this area. And I was able to find some pretty interesting truths and things that are going on to where this has actually been a research in the scientific community, in the medical community that's been going on for quite a while. And like right now, it's pretty far along to where you can get a good idea of what you're predisposed to. The article also talked about how it's not unlikely that very soon, based on the DNA testing, that a doctor could pretty much with good certainty look at you and say, later in life, you will definitely have to deal with this particular disease. And I thought about that. You know, it's one thing to when you're 20 years old and you have a family history before you, maybe heart disease exists in your family and you can kind of prepare for that over time. But it's another thing to be told when you're 20, when you're younger, that on this day, when you're 70 years old, you will be dealing with advanced stage Alzheimer's disease and you will not remember any of the people in your life. 
I can't imagine being faced with that reality at that young of age. But you see, that wasn't what the article was really getting into. The article then posed the question, if that test were available, would you take it? And I thought more. Would I want to take that test? It would be hard. The article then go on, went on to say that, you know, as much as we want to know the future, it is a blessing to really not understand what is coming. Because the reality is, we may not be able to handle the truth of what is to come. And I thought that is very true. And as I was preparing for this passage, you know, it made me think upon the fact. And it reminded me of this truth. That I do not know what is best for me. You see, I think a drive that exists in us and what you're seeing in these tests is that we, we want to know, we want to prepare, we want to see what's coming. We want to make the decision that's right for us to protect ourselves. And we see that more and more in our culture today. But the truth of what we find in God's word is that I do not know what's best for me. You do not know what's best for you either. We're entering this new season of the fall. Pastor Paul was referring to that in the announcements earlier. And yes, we are on the horizon of a whole new rhythm of life. We have football on the horizon. Wink, wink, right? New head coach, fun, I hope. We'll see. We'll see, indeed. But here's the thing. You know, we're getting into rhythms. We have new seasons upon us where we have students who have graduated high school. They're going into college. There's students who are entering their senior year of high school. New grades. Going further in your education. Things change. And we want to be prepared for those things. So we gear up. But the thing is, we have to be careful of something. It can give us a false sense of hope. Because the reality is we don't know our future. We don't know what's going to happen in the coming months. We don't know what's going to happen today at the end of this day. And you see, that points us to the truth that I think this passage is really teaching us, that we don't know what's best for ourselves. It is only God. And we must submit to that. You see, the reality for us is we don't grow closer to God through our own willfulness to work out our plan, but rather through a grace-filled willingness that submits to the truth that out of our weakness, we need to be calling upon him daily for his help at our neediest points, believing that he, who knows what's best for us, that being God, God knows what's best for us. And that's where I want to take us today as, as I unpack the truths that we find in what I'm calling the wise prayer of a weak man. And that is the title of this sermon today, The Wise Prayer of a Weak Man. In this passage, we find a man named Agur. 
Not much is known about Agur. Some theologians speculate that the author here is actually Solomon, writing under the pseudonym of Agur, or that Agur was an actual person who served as a counselor to Solomon. But no matter where we land as to actually who he was, I think there's a lot we can learn about him through his character, through the way he prays. A wise man, a weak man. This passage in Proverbs is a prayer. In fact, it's it's the only prayer recorded in the entire book itself. We find in this prayer both an invocation and supplication, which will be our roadmap this morning. As we look at two things that this passage points out to us. One is that we must ask God with humble submission when we go to him in prayer. And two, pretty simply, we need to know what we should be asking for. In this prayer, this example is a wonderful lesson for us to do that. So what's happening in this passage? We see a wise man endowed with the power of the Holy Spirit who starts by saying something that I think is truly revolutionary if we think about it. He says, two things I ask of you. He understands and knows exactly what the book of Proverbs has been saying throughout the entire rest of the book. That the beginning of wisdom and how to make your way through life is knowing who to ask. It's knowing about this sense of dependence. He has the wisdom and knowing to see and understand that whatever it is that I need, it's going to be coming from outside of me and that I need to dependently ask. The Lord Jesus put it to us this way in his teaching when he said, you don't have because... You don't ask. Asking you will receive. Knock and, it'll be, and the door will be open to you. Seek and you will find. And if you've been around church long enough, those are familiar words. We teach them in our Sunday school to our children. You may have heard that lesson at a very early age in life. So it's very common to a lot of us. But the reality is we, we don't live in that sense of mind to just ask. You know, as I've been preparing for this message, I've been really wrestling through a lot of things in my life that God is really changing and and sanctifying me in. It's been a blessed time. It's been hard. And as I've gone through this time, I have had a sense of God's presence. I've had a sense of his leading. I've had his word. And as I've tracked through the path he has taken me through, I've realized that throughout the process, I haven't asked like I should. I haven't just stopped and said, Lord, will you do this? I have a sense and faith that God is present, but what I was missing was the fact that I was not stopping, I was not slowing down, and simply asking. What did I do instead? strategize, try harder, plan, 
Okay, I'm going to read the word here because this is what I was challenged in, and so this is what I'll do here. Instead of what? Asking for the Lord's help. And you see, this is what we see here in a very simple way, that, that Agar is simply asking the Lord. But we also learn how someone with, with wisdom then offers the prayer. He knows that he must humble himself and ask outside of himself, but he also realizes that there's something more to his asking. There's a way he must, must do it. There's, there's a priority he must set in his mind. And he starts out by asking for two things and two things only. Now think about that for a second. Just two things. Just two things for the Lord to provide him for the rest of his life before he dies. You know, as I tried to wrap my brain around this, you know, I put myself in the position that if I were asked to make a list of prayers, requests to see happen before I die, I've thought through what I would ask for. And I promise you, my list was a lot longer than just two things. So we have to take notice of this. We have to understand what is the wisdom here in asking for just two things. We see in verse 7, he says, Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. You see, he is, he is asking with a sense of his humanity, his mortality. He's understanding that his, his days are numbered. And we see this in, with the words of Moses in Psalm 90, verse 12. And it says, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That we may gain a heart of wisdom. I think it's important that we, what we take from here is that when we are praying, we can't just think about our life now. We have to think about eternity. We have to think about the fact that we are not going to be here in this life. That when we die, we are going to face judgment. We are going to face God. So it's important for us to reflect upon that as we prepare our hearts to pray to God. And I think what will happen is what we see here with Agur is that there is a priority in his spirit, in his soul, to focus on two, not just two, the two most important things in his life that he wants from God. So what we see here is Agur is sober-minded but we also understand his humility and the fact that he is asking God. And that is the lesson for us there for the first part of that verse and just the, the invocation that Agur is offering up and how he is approaching God. He's approaching God with a childlike faith. He knows that there is something outside of him, that there is something more powerful than him, that his creator is who he is asking and that he must ask. He also understands that, that his days are numbered. And what we learn 
is that when we pray, we are to do so with a humble submission to a good and powerful God who gives graciously and abundantly. Let that be our invocation. Let that be our hearts as we go and pray before God. As we go on to verse 8 in this passage, what we're seeing is, is the supplication. We're seeing the, the petitions that Agur is offering. And this is very important for us because it shapes us if we submit to what is being said here as to what our petitions should be. So what should we be asking for when we pray? What should be on our minds? What should be the first thing? We see an example here. We see Agur, who is endowed with the Holy Spirit, with the wisdom of Jesus. He is, he is asking for just two things, and the first thing he asks for is to remove far from me falsehood and lying. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. So what is he saying here? He's saying, he's saying I want to live a life of the truth. A truth that works in both directions, far away from falsehood, meaning from illusion, from being deceived, and far away from lying. He wants to be away from any situation that would cause him to do such things. And again, as I reflected upon this, I said to myself, ask the question, would that be the first thing that I would ask for? If I were given the opportunity to ask God of any two things before I die, would that be the first thing that I ask for? The answer is simply no, because that is not my heart. But it is right. We see the example, and then the next question I ask is, well, well how, is, how is Agar able to do this? How is he able to be in this mindset to know that this is the priority? He's able to do this because he understands how destructive falsehood and lies are to life. So life outside the truth, it is destructive. He knows how destructive it is to be deceived and to deceive oneself. Out of that heart is a life of just lying. He understands how easy it is to be deceived and to live as a deceiver. And I think the biggest deception that we can live under is that we are immune to such things. We are immune to becoming that liar. We are immune to being, uh, we think we're immune to being um, fooled and deceived. But we have to understand that when we think that, when that is creeping up in our mind, in our heart, it's deception. You know, there's, there's just everyday falsehoods that we, that we deal with, that we encounter with, right? I mean, the question, hey, how you doing? How's it going? Fine. I do that all the time. How many times did I say that over the past weeks as I've been working through the things I mentioned earlier, when I was at a really low spot and just feeling away from God, and someone says, hey, Rob, how's it going? Fine. 
Very basic. But it's not true. And in the reality for us, I think, as a church, is that I want us to hear from this, that, that God, is, God is calling us to this place of weakness. God is calling us to this place of understanding our frailty. And as we encounter with each other and care for each other, we must get to this place of just being honest. We all are going through suffering. We all are being challenged by God's word. We all, by the work of the Spirit, have sin being revealed to us. And our typical, uh, our typical act in that is to deal with it on ourselves and to try to be right. Instead of asking God for help, but we also pull away from each other. And, and what becomes is that there's this steady buildup of a lie that we can start to live thinking that we're alone or that we can't help others or that no one else can understand what it is I'm going through. And this is just an example of how lies and falsehoods can keep us away from God, away from the truth and the life that we have in Jesus Christ and what is available to us. It must be real. The other thing is, like, you know, I was thinking about this, it's like, it's so easy to see that in others, right? Man, if so-and-so would just, man, if they would just be more honest about the things they're going through, Right? Instead of just seeing the big, shiny, glaring mirror of our face, saying that but not living it. I know it's simple. I know it's, it's very, very basic. But guys, if we don't go to those places, we are living a lie. And we have to be careful of this. And I think this is what we see here in the prayer that it's such a foundational thing for us that is easy to fall into that it must be the thing that we pray for first. And we see this with Agar. And the reality is we must be reminded of this daily, which is why we need the refining truth of God's word to be the sufficient foundation of all things in our life. Where do we go for the truth? We go to God's word. And you see, Agar mentions this a little bit ahead of this passage in verse 5 where he cries out. He says, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. You see, God's word proves to be true. It's, it's refined every day in our life because it points to our hearts and it reveals who we are. It reveals the sin in our hearts. Which is why we need it to be that refining reality of truth in our lives. So let that be our prayer. God, protect me from falsehood and lies. And let me focus on you, your word, empowered by the Holy Spirit to pursue after and live the truth. We move on to this second request in verse 8. 
second half of verse 8, where he says, Give me neither poverty nor riches, and feed me with the food that is needful for me. You know, I feel like this, this request is even more unlikely than the first as it relates to my life. Would this be the second thing I asked for? Would, would this be the thing right after the, the protection from lies? Nope. <laughs> because my heart desires much more. My heart desires so much more. Things that are away from these truths. And I can think of all kinds of things I would ask for. Comfort. Peace. And, I mean, think about that. He's not asking for peace. He's not asking for comfort in these petitions. So what we're seeing here is that, again, in his wisdom, in his weakness, he's making a very, a very interesting request here. He's saying he's neither asking for poverty or riches, or failure or success. And, you know, I understand praying against failure, praying against poverty, and even asking for more. I mean, I mean, those things make sense to us, but it's not what he is asking for. Instead, what he asks for is he says, feed me with the food that is needful for me. Don't give me riches, but yet, don't let me go into poverty. Just give me, God, what is, what is needful to me. The request being made of the Lord is, is for only what is needed and what should be allotted. Nothing more and nothing less. And he's also doing this. He's entrusting that wisdom to who? To God. Why? Because God, he knows what is best which goes against every, every fiber of my being of what I strive for, and that is what? I know what is best. So nothing more, nothing less. What else do we see going on here? You know, this prayer we read in Proverbs is exactly the prayer that a thousand years later, the Lord Jesus Christ taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. The Lord's Prayer. And Jesus references this in his teaching to us. The Lord's Prayer, something very common, something very, very familiar in our memory, in our vocabulary. I think even non-Christians can recite this prayer. It's, it's just a very common prayer. And, and man, how, how common it becomes in my heart. How often I let those words just become a rote set of words that I chalk up to something I learned a long time ago. But yet don't think about the wisdom and the, and the incredible power behind what Jesus taught us. And we see this connection to the prayer that, that Agar is offering. You 
But see, we need to be reminded of this every day in our life. We need to be reminded that this is a daily prayer we are to make for daily needs that we have. It needs to be an ongoing, ongoing prayer in my life, in our lives. And I can tell you it's not one that I want to offer. Because I think I know what's best for me. You know, the prayer I want to offer in my flesh is, Lord, yes, give me my daily bread, but actually just give me my bread, right? Just, just, just give me everything I need right now. I don't want to have to depend again. I just want this thing that I am feeling to be completely resolved. The money that I need in my life to live can I just have it all like right now? All the food that I need, can I just like have it stored up somewhere? I mean, if God, if you could do that, we could get a lot of things out of the way so that, you know, I could just live a better life, right? But that's not what we are called to do. You see, our natural disposition is to want the excess for our own comfort, what we think is best and what we think we need. It's that desire we all have to be in the place where we can say, I have everything I need. I am set. I'm set. Man, those words, I am set. That could be the mantra of American consumerism. I just want and want to the point where I know that I am set. Get that 401k pumped up. You know why? Because I want to be set. I think another example of this is, you know, we're, we're in the hurricane season, right? And, you know, as soon as the, as soon as the forecasts give us a, a, a forecasted model that in 10 days, it just might be the case in Tallahassee that a hurricane will kind of glide through. What do we do? Go to Publix. I need water. I need batteries. I need food. I need gas in my car, Right? Now, it's good and wise to do these things and be prepared, but what does Rob do when he's going to Publix or Walmart or wherever it is to get the water he needs? I go to the aisle, find the water, and it's like, well, normally I'll probably need, you know, maybe two cases, but, well, there's 20, so I'll take 19, all right? I don't want to take all the 20. I'll just take the 19. And so I'll load about 1,000 pounds of water into my cart and struggle up to the, up to the counter behind the guy who has about 2,000 pounds of water, Right? Feeling good about myself and feeling so pity for the poor souls who don't have any water, right? I mean, that's just kind of like this game. Like, I'm going to get what I need. You know how it is. And that just, it's just our heart, man. We just, we want. And then we think, well, I better get enough extra just to be sure. Instead of living with this mindset, well, what about, what, what do I need? I mean, what do I need for this moment? What do I need right now? And worry about the rest at a later time. And you see, this is, this is what we're seeing here in, in the wisdom. You see, the, the prayer here goes against that I am set thinking or, or desiring to get and to get and to have more success and success. It goes, a, it goes against that thinking. 
The prayer here is not to give me everything I need up front. The prayer is to give me the food or the, need or the um, provision that is allotted to me. God, what you think is wise for me, just please give it to me today. Just as God fed his people in the wilderness with the bread that he provided every single day. And we know what, what happened when they stored it up and gathered it up. It just rotted. Why? Because here's the truth. We have to see this. Is that Because part of the discipleship of learning to live in Christ is learning to trust God for the amount that you need and learning to see God's provision day by day by day by day by day. Lord, give me what I need today. I will trust in your wisdom and your goodness to me as to what that should be and how much it should be. That's the wise prayer. That's the humble prayer. There is something deeper as well that Agar is guarding against here is that he goes on to say this in, in verse 9. After he asks God, just give me the food that is needful for me, he goes on to say, lest I be fool and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and and steal and profane the name of my God. So again, Agar understands his heart. He understands the propensity he has to these temptations of if he is too full, Now, I want to say this, having abundance, is that wrong? Being rich, is that what we're seeing here? Is it wrong? And I'll say no. I think what we have to see here is that this is is a contextual prayer for Agar. He knows his heart. He knows what he is prone to. And he is simply asking God to protect him from that. So yes, there are people who God has blessed with abundance. But it's in his wisdom. And God knows usually in in these types of situations that this person has been tried and tested and their faith is great and that usually the desire is to just to give whatever they get. We have many people like that in this church who have the gift of generosity. They're like this pipeline, this conduit of of resources. And God blesses that. And I'm thankful for that. But what we cannot miss is that even in those situations, God is providing and sending things in the lives of people who have a lot to remind them of their need for him. Think about Paul when he talks about the thorn in his flesh and he just accounts for the wisdom, and he has this gratitude for what God has provided in him because he knows that God's grace will abound in dealing with whatever that thorn is. But he also knows that without it, he will stray away from God. And you see, this is the wisdom we see here with Agur's petition. God, you know me. Don't give me things that I cannot bear. Don't give me abundance or poverty that will 
cause me to either turn away from you or to worse, profane your name, to steal, which goes against your word and your character and proves you to be a liar. That's what people will think. You know, Agar is, is very, very sensitive to this. And you see, that's, that's another example here is that he, re- he requests to be kept from poverty. And this, pl- this request is not from a place of fear or, or doing without, but it's a desire to honor the Lord. It's offered with great, great self-awareness of his temptations. You see, again, if we get back to the Lord's Prayer and what Jesus taught us, what we're seeing here is you're seeing what Jesus exactly teaches, that, oh, Father, when we pray, oh, Father, we desire for your name to be great above all things, that whatever is in this prayer, that it gives honor to you. So that's why Jesus says, oh, Father, how to be your name. Make your name holy. But you see, our tendency is to pray just the opposite. What? It's, 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 our tendency is to say, make my name holy. Make my name great. And I think Agar is very aware of this in his life. So basically what we see here is, is Agar saying, don't give me a dime more or a dime less. Don't, don't make me one bit healthier or one bit less healthy. Don't give me more success or less for what it takes for me to follow you. Whatever it is that God will provide so that his heart is aligned to God and to follow after him, that's the desire that Agar has. And that should be the desire that we have, that Lord, whatever you give me, Whatever my need is now, whatever it is to meet that need, just please let it be such that my heart stays aligned in following after your son, Jesus Christ. And I think in simple terms for us, this is, this is the prayer. The prayer is, Lord, I am weak and in need You know better than I do as to what it is to need. Give me nothing more and nothing less than what it takes for me to stay close to Jesus and glorify your name. So whatever your need is, petition to God. Ask for him to intervene. But do so in that spirit. And you see, here's the thing. God is... You know, we we tend to minimize God in our situation, and we tend to think that God is not big enough to deal with that problem that we are facing. So common for me to do that. But guys, I am here to tell you that God is bigger. God is powerful. God is sovereign. And God is, is waiting to hear the petitions of your prayer. And he is an abundant and gracious giver of all things. And because of that, because of that, we should not want anything else than what God deems appropriate. Because it's going to be more than we could have ever dreamed or asked for. 
It may not come in the way that we want it. It may not be the specific thing. But whatever it is, it is going to bless and redeem and draw us closer for a more content, abundant, joyful life than we could ever imagine. So want, my, my, my plea to you is this, want and desire what God wants. And you see, this reminds me of a story I heard about a young boy and his mom who would go into a grocery store, maybe a small convenience store, and they would do their shopping, and it was a locally owned store, and when it was time to pay uh, for their items, every time they were there, the store owner would say, Hey, son, go ahead and grab you some candy out of that bin right there. And the little boy would be shy and, you know, turn away, kind of hide behind his mom and, and wouldn't do it. And went back and forth, back and forth, the owner saying, son, just, just take it. And finally, the store would say, all right, all right, here, here. And he would reach his hand in the candy, pull out a bunch of candy and give it to the little boy. And they would go on their way. And after many times of this happening, after they left the store, the, the mom looks down at the boy and says, Son, every time we are in the store, we go through the same thing. He offers you candy. He's saying, you, you just don't, you don't, you don't take him up on it. Why? Why do you let him give you the candy? And the boy says, Mommy, you don't understand. He has bigger hands than I do. <laughs> you see, that's our God. He is bigger. He is wiser. So let's submit to that and trust that. You know, as we close here, I, I realize that, and I don't want this to be the case, is that the, the sufferings, the, the things that we are going through, that in no way does this minimize the pain or minimize the challenges we're facing. But as one application, I, I hope what this can point you to is to the words of Jesus himself when, when he said in Matthew 16, verses 24 through 25, he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever saves his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see, the life of a disciple is not just following, but to do so with the heart of just willing submission moving away from my agenda, what I think is right, and submitting to the wisdom of God and the goodness of him. But we also must trust that God and his love for us will bring things to us to remind us of that. They can be hard things. They can be big things, small things, challenges that we face. Maybe some of you here are facing challenges that, you, that seem to you just impossible. But my encouragement to you today is that God is here. He is with you. And through this, he is giving you purpose and reminding you to depend upon him and to cry out to him.
And I'm reminded of this quote I read from a book I've read recently that I, has been a blessing to me, Desiring, God's, Desiring the Will of God by David Benner. He has this quote. He says, Taking up my cross is accepting whatever affliction I experience, no matter how great or small, and inviting Christ to walk alongside me as I carry it. It is meeting, it is meeting the suffering Savior in the midst of my suffering and allowing myself to be touched by his grace. Taking up my cross is accepting self-denial and sacrifice as a part of my daily life as I follow Christ. Walking the sacred way of the cross allows me, therefore, to participate in Christ's suffering. But more, it puts my suffering in perspective and gives it meaning because at the end of the way of the cross is the resurrection. See, God is working all of these things. Remember what I said at the beginning, that we have to have this eternal perspective that in Christ we will be glorified. And we have that promise. So let's draw near to him and trust him. And you see, as we come to the table each week, we, we are reminded of this truth, of our dependence that we are to have daily upon Jesus Christ about the abundance of God's grace in our lives. And this is a reminder to us as we take the Lord's Supper together. So I invite you to stand. And I invite you to pray to yourself the prayer that we have learned from Agar to Trust what Lord, the Lord's provision in our lives should be. Being reminded of our need for Christ because of our sin. Being reminded of the salvation that only through Christ we can have. Reminded that it is available to us. And that each day we must be trusting in the truth of that. So I invite you now, silently before yourselves, just bow your heads, pray, just reflect upon your and confess your sin before God and, and allow yourselves to prepare your hearts to receive from the table today. Let's bow our heads. And as we continue, I'd like to invite our leaders to the front as well to help serve communion this morning. This is your first time at Four Oaks. The way we do our communion is uh, you exit out the left side of your row, come forward, tear off a piece of bread, grab a cup of wine or juice as your conscience permits, and then return to your seat so that we can take the Lord's Supper together. The table for us is, is open to all who profess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Come and receive the gifts of God's people for his people.
so sure and steady my hope is held in your hand Take and eat, do in remembrance of me. Let's do that together now. Jesus also went on to say that this wine is a sign of the new covenant that you will live under because of my shed blood. Let's drink in remembrance of that. Jesus is better, baby. 